Hello and welcome to Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast. I'm your host, Pam Durant. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast. Today, on this November, which starts Diabetes Awareness Month, I have a very special guest. November is Diabetes Awareness Month because November 14th is the birth date of Sir Frederick Banting, who was the scientist that discovered insulin, which we're so thankful for, which saved so many lives. And November 14th is World Diabetes Day. Therefore, the whole month of November is Diabetes Awareness Month. That's when the rest of the world engages in the conversation about diabetes. Even though those of us living with it or our loved ones living with it are aware of it every day, it's nice to have this month to reflect, discuss it, and elevate the conversation. Today's episode, I couldn't think of a better guest right now to join me to inspire us all to live well, whether we have diabetes or not. She is an inspiration for everyone, but she is doing so many amazing things while living with type 1 diabetes. So please let me tell you a little bit about today's guest, Millie Larmer. She is an ardent outdoor enthusiast driven by the thrill of pushing her boundaries amidst the beauty of nature. In the last 18 months alone, she's climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. She's hiked the 170-kilometer Mont Blanc Massif. She's climbed the Igvi de Toile. She's also done the Igvi Marbris, the Mount Rosa, and the Pyramid de Vincent in Europe. She's also scaled Cotopaxi and Chimborazo in Ecuador and explored diverse corners of the globe, such as Socotra, the island off Yemen, and Pakistan and Tajikistan. She's also led remarkable tracks, such as the Women's Heritage Walk, a challenging 125-kilometer journey across the UAE desert. She's climbed to Everest Base Camp in Nepal, the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu in Peru, the Marca Valley Track in Ladakh, uh, the Indian Himalayas, and she's about to embark on, an event, on another adventure to cycle across Namibia. Millie embodies a passion for adventure and a zeal to make a meaningful impact. Now, as Golfer Goods Partnership Sponsors and Fundraising Manager, she eagerly directs her competitive spirit towards supporting communities worldwide. With a wealth of experience in exploring, climbing, trekking, and leadership, Millie is poised to leverage her fever for outdoor pursuits to forge impactful partnerships and drive fundraising efforts. She brings positive change to the lives of so many across the globe, not just only through her work at Golf for Good, but through her personal story and where she is taking her diabetes. So with such a, a bio and background of what she's just done in the recent months, I can't wait for you to meet her. So let's get on with the show. So Millie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. We're very excited that you're here. (laughs) And I have so many questions for you. And first, it was very, for those listening, the way that I met Millie was completely accidental. Um, Actually, one of her colleagues came by, we were at an event, um, both of our organizations were at an event and someone came by and said, oh, you, do you know Millie? I said, no, I don't. 
And they said, well, you, you need to meet her because she's a person living with diabetes. And I said, oh, okay, yes, I must. And especially because of, you know, how you manage it, where you're taking your diabetes, and it's certainly not stopping you from doing anything, which we always say it shouldn't stop anyone from doing anything. Um, but before we get into the adventures, can you start from the beginning and give us a little background? Tell us about yourself and how you were diagnosed. Yeah, sure. So um, I live in Dubai and um, I was, God, I'm 53 now. So I was diagnosed with diabetes, type 1 diabetes, um, nearly 14 years ago. So it was a late, um, late diagnosis. And I actually diagnosed myself, um, bizarrely. Yeah, I was on holiday in France. And I just had this uncontrollable thirst, like I would be drinking two liters of water in one go and still being like, parched. I've never experienced anything like that before in my life. And I was like, "Mm, this is not normal. Um, and then my eyesight started to go um, and I was just like, mm, OK. And I remember being at college with somebody um, and she got diagnosed uh, with type one. And I remember her saying that, you know, she'd never been so thirsty in her life. She's, like, she's never experienced something like that before. And I was just like, mm, OK, that is kind of causing alarm bells. So I went back to the UK um, and went to see my doctor. And I just said, look, I actually think I might have type one diabetes. She was like, oh, why do you think that kind of, you know, and I was just like, well, I went on, you know, went on a website and I'm I'm kind of ticking every single um, thing on the list. And she said, OK, let's do a blood test. So did the blood test. And then by the t- well, I hadn't even got back home and I've got a call saying you need to go straight to a hospital. You've got um, diabetes and your levels are so high. She said, I'm surprised you're not in a coma. Uh, oh. so, yeah, so, so we're went straight to the hospital, was in a bit of a trance, but kind of not because I kind of had got that in a kind of feeling that, you know, I I, I was going to, it was going to be confirmed. So, um, yeah, so literally there and then they put me on insulin and uh, I spent 24 hours in the hospital and my whole life changed, literally. And uh, wow. yeah, it's really weird because I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease in 2001, uh, which is kind of like an autoimmune disease. And mm-hmm. They think that I got um, my diabetes because of a virus. They think it triggered uh, the diabetes. So, and bizarrely enough, my brother, so I was diagnosed in September. And bizarrely enough, my brother, who is a lot younger than me, was died. Well, I diagnosed him as well because he he um, he had exactly the same symptoms as me two months later. And I was just like, oh, my God, I think you've got diabetes. And so took him, went through the whole process with him. And, yeah, he he got diagnosed as well. So they think that I probably had a virus that I then passed on to him. But no one else in my family. That is fascinating. Yeah. So your story, yes, does point out that because people used to associate type 1 diabetes as only children would be diagnosed with it. And then you live with it the rest of your life. But I've met adults of all ages that yeah. I, I, even I met one man he was diagnosed like in his 60s or 70s like quite quite old wow. and shortly after his son was diagnosed it was very interesting and his son was diagnosed as an adult ah. so thank you for sharing that because I think it's important for people to know that adults can be diagnosed with type 1 diabetes it's often mistaken for type 2 yeah um, <laughs> 
And I mean, well done that you were aware of the signs and symptoms. It's not uncommon for people to live with one or more um, autoimmune conditions like Hashimoto's or sometimes celiac or different things like this people see with type one. But what an incredible story and amazing yeah. sister you are that you. Oh, yeah. Got it. And it was really weird. He, you know, he was so much younger than me. You know, I was just kind of nearly turning 40, but he was like kind of uh, very early 20s. And um, for me, I was able to accept it. Do you know what I mean? Like I I had the kind of acceptance of, right, I've been given this kind of life-threatening disease. So I can either let it run my life or I can run it. Do you know what I mean? I can take control of it. But I think when you're very early 20s, when your life, whole life is ahead of you, you know, you want to go out and have fun with your mates and stuff like that, to kind of have that happen to you was was very, very difficult for him, very difficult for him. And I I got very different levels of care in comparison to what he got. That makes a huge difference as well. So my diabetes changed my life. I think it gave me a, um, a real focus in life. And I think um, my brother has struggled with it for, for for so many different reasons, you know, for the fact that he was so young when he got it, you know, all his mates were going out having a great time and he had to be really, kept, you know, it was just, it was like a real mind kind of fest for him. Um, I was a lot mature, mature than him. So I could get my head around it. He couldn't. And I just think, you know, the level of care as well that I have received from living in the Middle East has been completely different to what he receives in um, the UK. So, yeah, mm. massive. Yeah, it's, massive it's so tricky. And I that's very interesting because I think my son was diagnosed at 18 months old. So he doesn't know life without diabetes. And while no, exactly. it's tricky and it's challenging, in yeah. some ways that's a blessing in disguise that you but don't remember what it was like before and how easy it was exactly. without it. This whole when, mindset is in that kind of function of I am a diabetic. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, it doesn't, it shouldn't keep anyone from doing anything. You can still go out and enjoy the a great time with your friends and do all the things, but yeah. you do have to be aware of it. You do have to manage it. It yeah. is as a the my son's the first doctor that we saw said this is such a nagging condition you're gonna hate it and I thought what a weird yeah. thing that's not very medical but it was, was absolutely true <laughs> yeah it is absolutely true but it's not medical and it's not very positive but also yeah. I think as well you know when when you've never had diabetes in your life and then suddenly it's you it's like your whole life the people who are around you are so uneducated about this condition that they um don't understand and, and so therefore they're like why are you doing that you shouldn't be doing that you're a diabetic it's a life-threatening disease well I can do it of course I nothing's going to stop me doing it. I just have to take precautions and I just have to be more aware but do you know what I mean I remember you know we went out for dinner and um with some people and uh I was sort of like injecting myself at the dinner table and they found, they found it really offensive. They were just like, why shouldn't you go to the bathroom to do that? You know, kind of like, cause they just couldn't get their head around. They didn't want to see me putting a needle in into my body. And, you know, it just kind of, and you have to be really, really aware. And I, 
we took my son and one of his friends to um, watch a movie and we went for lunch beforehand. And, you know, I'm just sitting there where everybody's finished their eating and, you know, um, sorry, starting their eating and I'm injecting what have you. And and suddenly his friend (laughs) hit the floor. He completely passed out. My son's friend completely passed out because he's got a real phobia about needles. Like literally just hit the floor and everything. And I was just like, oh, my God, I had no idea. And, you know, the mother was really sweet. She was really calm and really nice. But she was just like, well, she told me that he had diabetes. And I was just like, oh, my God, you know, if I had to tell everybody that I had diabetes. Yeah, it's not something you would think of. And that's really unfortunate. Definitely, you shouldn't be going to the bathroom to inject because that's just not the cleanest place to inject in the first place. And, I mean, no, no one... A lot of people have with diabetes, I read this story all the time. I hear it all the time. They say, go to the bathroom and inject or don't check your blood sugar at the table. Yeah. And I'm just like, no, like it's, it's just part of like a normal thing and it needs to be done. And there's no shame in it. There's no reason to go to the bathroom or a dirty closet to do it. (laughs) Exactly. It's part of our lives and, and you shouldn't be made to feel guilty about something that you have to do to keep you alive you know yeah it's really really weird or people sort of like saying or is that enough are you giving yourself enough insulin I don't think I don't think you you're giving enough or why why aren't you giving yourself insulin when you're um eating a salad you know well because there's the salad's got no carbs in so I don't need to you know yeah 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 yeah. I yeah a lot of people and it always (laughs) seems to be like the same people if we're you know see them from time to time and they're like you're like, oh, can your son eat that? And I look over and he's eating like normal food. Exactly. Once it was like watermelon or, you know, and I'm like, yeah, pretty much he eats everything. Yeah. And why shouldn't he? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Especially if it's like a healthy thing. Yeah. You just have to, you know, for those listening, if you don't have diabetes and you're wondering about the food, you just have to know how to match the amount of insulin that you have to the amount of carbohydrates that you're taking. It's that exactly. simple. Exactly. And just know, have confidence and know that the person who is the diabetic knows what they're doing. <laughs> I know, I know unsolicited advice. I think people yeah. with diabetes get a lot of that. Yeah, absolutely. It's so tricky. <laughs> so yeah. when did you start? So I want to shift now. When did you start? Um, because you do a lot of, you know, what people would describe as very adventurous excursions that a lot of people wouldn't do, or they would only dream of doing. And if they had a chronic condition, they would really wonder about how to go about doing that. So when did you start getting into climbing and hiking and and all the different adventurous things that you do? So I've always had a love of kind of adventure um, or like always. I think that stems from my dad taking us to the Alps in um, Europe and making us climb mountains in flip-flops back in the day, you know, <laughs> kind of. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I've always had that love. And um, I think when I got uh, diagnosed, uh, you know, life keeps you busy when you have kids and stuff like that. And then when I got diagnosed with diabetes, I realized that exercise, you know, was going to be a fundamental part of my life. And I did exercise before, but just it was kind of as and when I could kind of, you know, patch it into my daily routine with the kids and stuff. And so I had to make a conscious effort to become super healthy, but also super fit, because that has a massive, uh, plays a massive difference in your blood sugar levels, exercise. 
And so I kind of realized that I wanted to really challenge myself and go off and do some kind of, you know, because as a diabetic, you're always constantly being told you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing that. Oh, my God, don't do it. You know, don't run a marathon kind of don't, um, you know, do a stair climb. Don't uh, walk um, the four peaks, three peaks, whatever. And so for me, that was almost like a testament to tell you, well, actually, I am going to do it and I can do it. I'm going to prove you wrong kind of thing. So, so yeah, so I think I got into it, into all these wonderful ventures when I kind of realized that I was a diabetic, my life needed to change and that I could prove people wrong, basically, you know, I, I, and I wanted to also test my own mindset and my own diabetic capabilities. I wanted to, I wanted to kind of know in, for me that I could I was strong, that I had got it under control and that I could do anything I wanted to do. And, you know, maybe be an inspiration to other diabetics um, that, you know, if I ever came across or or general, generally speaking, people as well, you know, anyone. And so, yeah, so I've done lots of, um, I mean, so many, uh, um, I can't even list them. But but I think also, I think one of the main ones for me was when I, I took, I was a guide for the Women's Heritage Trek, which was, so I did it three times, actually, was a guide three times. So, and that is a an amazing trek, 125 kilometers across the desert from Alain to Abu Dhabi in the Middle East. And so you have to walk across these deserts. So these massive sand dunes, and it's incredible. You follow the um, footsteps of the Bedouin women, you stay in Bedouin mm-hmm. tent, you know, it takes five days. And it's 25 MRTs ladies and 25 expat ladies. And um, all of them had joined, signed up for their own personal journeys. You know, some people were going through divorces, some people were, you know, whatever. And so I think that for them to hear my personal journey about why I was doing it gave them strength and courage to, to be able to kind of do it themselves. You know, they were like, oh my gosh, she's a diabetic. Well, if she's a diabetic... I can do I can do this because, you know, maybe she's a bit weaker than me because she's a diabetic. So I can oh. do you know what I mean? Kind of, you know, mm. that whole, it is that whole perception of diabetes mm-hmm. and people with diabetes. So but, you know, the flip side was I was kind of encouraging them and giving them kind of strength to look, if I can do it, you can do it kind of thing. So and then, yeah, I think I'm it's just escalated from there on. And I've just found this love of kind of being with like-minded people, proving to myself uh, that I can climb a six and a half thousand meter mountain, you know, in sub-zero temperatures um, Mm. and, you know, try to control my diabetes because, you know, when you're doing something like that is incredibly difficult because obviously, you know, your altitude, uh, your body is undergoing so much physical stress your mind is playing tricks on you. So, you know, stress comes into it and stress can elevate blood sugar levels. You know, you when you climb a mountain, you're supposed to eat a lot of sugar to be able to give you the energy to kind of get you to the top of the, uh, to, to the summit. But obviously that's the worst thing a diabetic can do because then you have to give yourself so much insulin, which then crashes. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, it's like a mental, it's like a massive mental um, battle as well as a kind of strength battle as well. And I kind of get off on that I quite quite like the challenge of that I find it quite empowering and um I kind of you know for me personally it's it's kind of another tick that yeah I am a strong human being I am an inspiration and I am somebody who you know can do exactly what I want to want to do and want to achieve 
despite having type one diabetes. So yeah, Amazing. you definitely are an inspiration. And oh, uh, well, I, keep, I keep, you know, I, I did start off with a bit of imposter syndrome about that. But, uh, but, you know, somebody told me once, you shouldn't because, you know, people, people in the world need people to look up to and to kind of be inspired by. And, you know, we've all got our kind of heroes in the world and our, you know, nowhere near one of those, but, but, you know, if you can give that sense of, oh my God, yes, you can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. Then absolutely, you know, yeah, you should be, you shouldn't feel guilty about um, kind of giving people inspiration. Yeah, exactly. And not just like for someone to do it, for people to do it with diabetes, but I often, for like for me and I tell other moms, I'm like, follow these people because this is the future and this is what your child can grow up and do these amazing yeah. things. There's it's no that. reason they can't. So it does give as as parents or caretakers, it gives people a lot of hope or other family members. And even for people with type two diabetes, because they're not even sure if they can what they can or can't do with type two, because there's so much stigma around type two as well. Oh, I yeah. think it it really means so much and it just motivates people and exactly it, and it's, I think it's incredible to do this without diabetes. I mean managing diabetes in the day to day is exhausting. How do you do exhausting. it when you're when you're climbing up a mountain? And you know I went to um, Machu Picchu in July this year to to the, I trek, to, took some people to um, trek the Inca Trail and uh, there was a guy on there um, who was a type 1 diabetic and oh. uh, you know, he just said to me, he said, I cannot tell you how safe I feel coming on this. You know, he'd never done anything like this before in his life. So it was a huge challenge for him personally. Mm-hmm. And he just said, I cannot tell you how amazing it is to have you on this trip as a type one diabetic. He said, because I know that when my levels start going high, he said, I can come to you and I can just say, oh my God, what do I do? Because you've got the experience, you've got mm-hmm. the knowledge of doing and he just said you know also gave his mother he said a great you know great kind of comfort that he wasn't going to be on doing this amazing um, challenge for him personally that he wasn't going to be sort of like oh my god you know having these awful hypos and um hypers and just not knowing what what to do so um so yeah so that was really cool and again when I'm cycling through Namibia I've got this lovely guy who was diagnosed initially with type two he's also got an autoimmune disease and it's now gone to type one Mm. and again he was just like I'm honestly the peace of mind that I've got knowing that you're a type one and you're going to be on that challenge is he said it 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 just means so much and it's it's that's incredible yeah I'm I'm gonna send my son to do I mean he's not so much into the extreme stuff my husband has done a few golf for good um He's yeah. been to Kilimanjaro and then also, um, and I don't know if that was with Golf for Good, but definitely when he went to Everest Space Camp years ago, that yeah. was with Golf for Good, like almost mm. not quite 20 years ago, not 20 years. It couldn't have been because I was pre- I learned I was pregnant with my son and then I didn't right. go. Right. Um, okay. So it would have been like 16 or 17 years ago. Yeah. Cool. Um, but That's I always okay. said, I thought Machu Picchu would be doable and amazing to do with my son or do as a family. Oh yeah, you should. I want to make sure like you're on that. Like yeah. I, I think I know a lot, but I'd be like, Millie, what do I do? It would be amazing <laughs> to have that that kind of support. And that's that's yeah. just incredible that other people, yeah. even though they live with it every day and they know what to do, but giving them that sense of comfort, just knowing that, you know, there's someone else there that gets it and has their back, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, peace of mind. Oh. And I think also as well, you know, people, when you have a hypo, a severe hypo, people who are not aware of diabetes are, it's very scary for them. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's scary for a bit, yeah. but when you have a severe hypo, you almost have this kind of out of body experience. Like I can't explain it to anyone yeah. other than that. But for somebody to watch you who doesn't know that and to be at altitude or, you know, um, in the middle of nowhere, um, it, it can be very scary for the people that you're with. But, you know, yeah. also, and then unfortunately, there is also that kind of embarrassment of coming out of that hypo yeah. and kind of um, behaving the way you did or people seeing you like you. You, you yeah. feel a lot of remorse and embarrassment yeah. um, and so that's, you know, and a lot of guilt that they had to witness that. And so it's, you know, managing that as well is really, really tough. Like you say, you know, diabetes is a mental game. It, You know, it really is. I spend my entire life kind of living through numbers. Do you know what I mean? Like mentally thinking about, you know, and it seems to be predominantly numbers, you know, when I'm car counting, it's all numbers. When I'm taking my insulin, it's all numbers. How many minutes of exercise am I doing? How many steps have I taken? It's literally kind of, you can never switch off from being a diabetic. Like you literally, mm. if you do, like if you just decide one evening, I'm going to go throw caution to the wind, I'm going to have a night off diabetes and I'm just going to enjoy myself and not have to think about anything. Well, then you, my God, you pay the price for the next two, two three days with you know yeah with- it can take some time i i've observed in my son to bounce back and kind of the way what you eat in the morning kind of sets the tone for the day with the insulin of course you know with his different insulin pumps and things it makes it a little easier than it was in the past Ooh. but yeah. but it doesn't take much to really have an off day or an off two days and recovering from a low I yeah. noticed takes like a severe low where you've had to use glucagon takes a lot of time and oh, really feeling like a zombie. So yeah. like hours, your brain is like completely fog and yeah, it's very hard to to kind of get back to. I wouldn't even say it's normality, but just get back to kind of your zen like kind of being centered. Mm-hmm after a, um, either a high or a low. So yeah, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I was asking him the other day, can you explain it to me? Because I'd love to, he had a severe hypo um, that wasn't coming up at school a few weeks yeah. back. And he missed a day of school because that whole yeah. afternoon slept it off, you know, ate well, but and and I knew it would take some time. But I'm like, can you I'm just really curious because I don't know what that feels like. Do you have any words to describe it? And then, you know, I'd love to explain to your teachers what that feels like, or you can explain it to them or, you know, not that they're expecting an explanation, but it's a really traumatic thing for your body to go through when your organs, your brain and everything, you know, suddenly is, is lacking glucose. Absolutely. Well, it's, I can, I can, the way I can only describe it is, that it is like an outer body experience. This you, It's almost like this is happening to your body and you're looking at it from outside, but you can't control it. Like mm. it's, you've literally got zero control. You know, I remember having my first ever really bad hypo and I was in the shower and it was only because my husband realized and my kids realized that I've been in the shower for 40 minutes. Oh. Oh. I was just washing my hair for 40 minutes. Like literally I couldn't get, so it's almost like a repetitive uh, thing. You know, this whole thing was happening to my body. And the only thing I could, could do was wash my hair for 40 minutes. Like it was really, really weird. And they realized that, you know, oh my God, something's wrong with mom. And then obviously, you know, you have that whole sugar 
kind of rush. And, and that's the one thing I hate about having a hypo is that the intake of sugar that you have to have, because it's yeah. like, you know, your body is not accustomed to taking sugar anymore because you can't eat sugar anymore. And so then you have to pump loads of sugar into your body to be able to get back to normal levels. And then you just feel your body kinds of kind of goes into this awful kind of sugar overload kind of, you know, and you can't stop shaking because it, like it's, yeah, it's extraordinary. It's a yeah. shock to the system. It is. And it's it's a massive, massive shock to your body, huge shock to your body having having hypos yeah it's mm. not yeah I try to avoid those at, at, at much cost so it must for be sure. really for you and Pam because you know seeing your son having a hypo must be really scary for you it is really- very scary actually as we're recording this so this will come out in a few weeks next I think it's next week the guest I'm having on the podcast and I never had really words for it before but we yeah. talk about caretaker trauma yeah and I have my own you know, yeah. they said there's some level of, for a lot of us, you know, PTSD and anxiety and yeah. trauma. And then I noticed when there was a few, again, like it's, it's being a teenager, you know, the, the hormones and everything, and then a, a few more highs and lows, but there was one night that he had a stubborn low, even though he's using a CGM, I still get up without an alarm, I'll wake up in the middle of the night, panicking, thinking I need to check his blood sugar. Yeah. And we were kind of settling, settling into some new technology, but I would still get up just to double check, you know, you never know. And he had this hypo and after a lot of juice, it still wasn't coming up. And he's like, I think we need to use the glucagon. Right. So that was his first time using inhalable glucagon. And he hasn't had a severe hypo since he was very, very small. And it was with a stomach virus and all of that. And after that, because that inhalable glucagon comes out really hard, it's like yeah. under a lot of pressure. We weren't expecting yeah. that. He wasn't expecting that. And then I realized that since that particular incident, I really don't sleep well. Like I really no. don't. Yeah. It, it, I've gone back to almost those kind of, um, you know, early diagnosis days where I wasn't sleeping yeah. at all. I mean, I'm sleeping a little bit better, of course, because the acceptance and everything is there, but it's as a caretaker, it's super stressful because you can't fix it. You can no. only do, you know, work with the tools that you have and what you've been educated to do and help them the best they can, but you can't, you can't take, take it on for them. You can't take it away. You can't fix it. And then the constant worry, you know, is there. And I'm thinking in a few years time, he's going to be out independent on his own in the world and university or whatever he decides to do. And it's, yeah. it's a lot. It's a, it it's a lot. Yeah, I think it, you know, my kids, they're, they're grown up now, um, teenagers, well, uh, young adults, but they, I think it was very traumatic for them to see me having um, hypos, like very traumatic. And, um, Mm. and I think you're right, you know, that were PTSD, um, you know, trauma, it, 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 I think they were massively affected by seeing their mum and not being able to do anything to help. That's, you know, if somebody falls over, you can pick them up, you can patch their knee, do you know what I mean? Kind of yeah. or injury or whatever, you can take them to hospital. You know, there's a solution. But when you're having a hypo, and like you say, sometimes these hypos do not want to come up. I mean, literally, no matter how much sugar you give yourself, they they just won't. And, you know, and that's all to do with your background insulin, your basal, you yeah. know, that, again, it's like 
oh my god you know that the whole mind fest of um all of that that you have to contend with as well yeah. but but yeah I think my I think both my kids uh you know they were young and and I I think they really did, were affected by me being diagnosed with diabetes and you know these um the trauma of seeing you know experiencing hypos for sure wow yeah for sure I never thought about how that would affect others. Cause usually we think about caretakers, but I always say, you know, one person gets diabetes, it really does affect the whole family in, in different ways. Okay. So when you're, when you're climbing and like doing a really challenging climb, do you have to care? Are you able to just, you know, kind of eat what's there? I know like, you know, you're hiking and it's kind of whatever they cook and things like that. And then are you having to carry a lot more extra supplies with you outside yeah. of emergency things or? How do yeah. you prepare for something like that with diabetes? Yeah. So again, you have to, you know, you really have to focus on it and put your mind um, to uh, be really mindful, I think. So um, I would, when you're at altitude, uh, you have to eat um, a lot of protein and a lot of carbs um, just to keep your body um, kind of going at altitude. And so I always take my own snacks, um, a lot of like things like nuts. I try to take dates because they're a natural kind of glucose um, and also they're absolutely delicious. Yeah. I try to stick away from processed sugar um, because obviously that just, you know, would mess. I would yeah. be going processed like this. anything really is not good for yeah, any no, of us. And absolutely. even if you're not in a high altitude. If yeah. you were to really process sugar, you would realize that it's oh my god, yeah, it's just it's good. just not even worth it. It really yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, especially when you're you're climbing and you're doing something really intense like that. You yeah, you need to fuel your body well. Yeah, no. So so you know, and um, when you go and do these adventures and stuff, the food is always amazing. Like uh, people are always skeptical. Oh my god, the food's going to be awful. It's just going to be baked beans and you know pieces of bread. My god, the food is incredible. I remember when I was in Ladakh which is um, Northern India and it's the Indian Himalayas. And mm -hmm. we had these lovely kind of cooks on our expedition. And um, one night they made us a chocolate cake, which they baked in the ground. I mean, that's how, oh, you know, how cool is that? on these expeditions. It's just incredible. Like, like literally it's, like you don't want to stop eating, you know, because the food is so, you like you get excited about eating because yeah. the food's good, like it, and it's so wholesome. You know, this is this is all it's mainly all organic food that um, because it comes from these amazing countries high up, and like it's just it's just really lovely and wholesome. And I'm really conscious that I try to keep, you know, I'm one of these people. I have a Dexcom and so I'm constantly, so my, it's on my, you know, it's on my um, iPhone. And so my app is constantly open. So mm. I'm literally monitoring my yep. levels. Like I'm, it's obsessive. And again, it's all numbers in my brain kind of thing. And so I, again, when I'm climbing, I'm doing stuff like that. I will just constantly be checking them. And I, you know, I would set alarms to check every 45 minutes because obviously you can't climb with your phone in your hand. So I would set an yeah. alarm, keep checking every 45 minutes to see my, you know. And the great thing about all this new technology, because when I was first diagnosed, there was nothing around like this. I mean, like, it, it is absolutely... Yeah, it, we were mind living blindly back then. This it, yeah. it, it makes it so much easier. Oh, my God. I mean, mine was all fingerprint, uh, fingerprint pricking when, you know, back in the day when I was diagnosed to the point where I had very little blood in my fingertips yeah, you know yeah. because I was checking constantly I'm time. just yeah. I just want to you know I 
because it has such an effect, I just want to know what my levels are doing all the time. So like I say, the Dexcom is just, uh, oh my, it's just changed my life. Like literally, it's amazing. So so yeah, so I'm really conscious of my levels. I make sure that I eat healthy foods, foods that are not going to have a, a knock-on uh, effect. And if if they do, like, so when I was doing Everest Base Camp, I chips, these amazing chips, not nice. processed chips, you know, made from real potatoes, you know, homemade chips, and they were amazing. So most of the time I would be eating homemade chips and fried eggs, because obviously the fruit, you know, the protein of fried eggs. Protein. Yeah, lots of protein. And then, you know, massive portion of vegetables. And um, so I would, what I would do is I would compensate not very much for the carb loading, because I know that I'm at altitude, so my levels are going to be low anyway. So I would, so I'd have a slight spike because, you know, I hadn't compensated as nearly as much as I should have done for the, for, for the fries, you know, chips, but, but it would come down very quickly back to normal levels because of the altitude and also because of the protein in the, you know, the uh, salads, greens that I was eating. Have you heard of glucose goddess just offline? Yes, I have. Yeah. I have. Yeah. So I live my life by her rules, basically. Just ah, I, Okay. Yeah. Really- I follow her. I follow her. Okay. Yeah, she's yeah. I, I a lot of people follow her and and like her, and I see that she has a book now. I actually saw them even selling the book um, in Dubai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's that's amazing. The um the other thing I wanted to ask you. So, what is the most challenging uh, situation you found yourself in, or what is the most challenging physical challenge that you've taken on? Which oh like which mountain or was there a time where you're like, this is crazy doing this with diabetes? Yeah. So um last year when I went to Ecuador, um, so I went with this amazing group of people and we went to climb two uh, volcanoes in Ecuador. So Cotopaxi and uh, Chimborazo. Uh, but before that, we did climbed um, these two kind of granite mountains as, as training, you know, altitude uh, training. And so Cotopaxi was really really good fun like absolutely incredible and a really lovely experience although coming down so this again this is you know how your insulin just kind of you know how your diabetes can be affected and everything so so summited absolutely beautiful you know being on top of the world just you know cloud you're above the cloud line it just like and you've got there it took us you know we left at midnight and we got there just as the sun was rising beautiful but then coming down was really quite challenging because my I'd got my um insulin in my um so I had it I I got this amazing summit jacket and it's like a bit like wearing um a million duvets like it's so warm it's it's just it's just gorgeous absolutely gorgeous but I and I'd stuffed my insulin in the inside pocket to keep it kind of uh because obviously you're at sub-zero temperatures but he had got too warm and oh. so, yeah, so it completely stopped working. And um, so, and again, obviously with exercise um, and exertion on your body, sometimes your levels don't necessarily drop, sometimes they escalate. Oh, and um, so I think I was putting my body under so much pressure from the climbing and from the altitude. I'd reached quite a high level when I got to the top and gave myself insulin. It, I, could, I couldn't get it down at all. So I basically had to walk down the climb off the mountain feeling uh, at a, with a high level and which uh, I can only explain it is when you're when you're high you, you, it's very difficult to do things like it takes 
forever to when you've got that feeling like because you again it's this like out of body experience <laughs> so you you I it, I couldn't walk fast you know I couldn't climb I couldn't it it just took so long for me um to come down to come back down it was everybody else had got, kind of got back down and I got to a point on the mountain where we were so close to the base um of the mountain but we were still in snow so the lovely guide I was with because you have to be roped to somebody on one of you know when a climbing a mountain like that he was just like you know I need to get you down I need to get you down and uh, I was just like I can't I cannot physically walk any faster and I was literally walking kind of one foot like that you know and and that's fine on the way up because you can't walk very fast because you're at altitude but on the way down you almost want to run down just to get you know out of altitude and at the bottom and so he was just like okay he said I'm gonna basically strap you and he said you're gonna lie on your back and he said I'm going to pull you down so you're going to kind of surf ski down for this oh wow you know yeah was kind of like I was just like I found it you know it was absolutely brilliant you know I know I knew that I needed to get down as quickly as possible so that I could get some more insulin to be able to inject myself and get my levels down because you know they were they were high and but equally, like I was, you know, it added another layer to this adventure because I was doing something that none of the other kind of um, climbers were doing. And I was having this, you know, kind of snow ski down the, the bottom bit of the mountain. And I literally couldn't stop laughing. I was loving it. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, it was kind of like, oh, my God, this is really serious. But actually, this is really good fun, kind of. Um, yeah. And then some new uh, enter- and source of entertainment was invented or some exactly, other experience. Exactly. Absolutely. That, and then yeah. Yeah. And then when I climbed Chimborazo sort of like four days um, later, which is the highest volcano in um, Ecuador, I knew then that I needed to change tactics um, with my insulin and um, just in the whole way that I kind of, you know, took it, didn't take it, the basil, the bonus, uh, bolus and, um, you know, eating and stuff and just needed to be kind of just, yeah, just change tactics. And and that worked. So, but again, you know, diabetes is not something that's just black and white. You know, it's not like you just wake up in the morning, you take your basil insulin and then you eat your food, you take your, um, yeah. you know, your- if only... <laughs> Only it was so easy. If only yeah, it's so, not. you know, if every single no two day is the same. Like literally, you can you can have an amazing day with your levels and do everything mm-hmm. and do everything exactly the same as you did uh, yesterday on that day, and you can have completely different levels. Mm-hmm. Completely. So it's like a, it's a, like I say, it's a mental mind um, fest. Yeah, it really, it really is. Yeah, and so you have to tackle each situation that you find yourself each situation that you put yourself into you have to look at it with a really open kind of mind and try to kind of uh, troubleshoot as many situations that you can see coming up and and variables and just uh just and also go go with the flow and just you know if you go high you go high do you know what I mean if you go low do something about it but but yeah just be really mindful that's I think is just you know and just keep keep going with it you know and uh yeah I mean you know in in Machu Picchu um I spent a day where my levels were just fluctuating like that and I was just mm. that you know what I was I've been here for three days already what's the um yeah I'm a slightly higher altitude I'm eating the same things I'm not taking any more insulin than I have been you know who knows you know it can be your body your temperature fluctuation it can be hormones that can be I mean there's so much that you know plays a plays a key part yeah there's over what 50 things or so that yeah 
one of the diabetes organizations is, you know, highlighted that can affect your blood sugar. And yeah. I like what you talk about, you know, being mindful about it. Yeah. I went through this period where when I started to understand that, I said diabetes is really like a Zen condition yeah. because yeah. you have to only be present. You can't, we can learn from the experience, but you can't necessarily worry about what happened before. And you no. can never predict what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. So it's really keeping you in the moment, whether you like it or not. You are yeah, where you are. Yeah. And you literally, like I say, you have to be so mindful just about and and just accept it. I think, uh, uh, to, you know, at the beginning, um, I'm I'm pretty much a perfectionist and I like to, I like my ducks in a row and I kind of like, you know, everything to be how I want it to be. And so that was a real struggle for me not to be able to kind of control it to begin with because it was all new, mm. what have you. And I, and I think that's where I brought that mindset in is was right okay, I need to control it, not have it control me. And that's when I was like, right, I need to do physical exercise because this will help me. I need to eat mindfully. I need to be really healthy. You know, I need to start cooking more and making healthy stuff. Um, and yeah, so I, you know, in a way I'm I'm grateful to for, uh, for diabetes coming into my life because it gave me that whole holistic overview. And a lot of people won't have that in life you know, in their lives or get the chance to experience that, you know? So, uh, yeah, I am, cause it, it has changed my life, diabetes, you know, it really, really has changed my whole mindset about how I go about things and do things. And, and, you know, just the fact that I, you know, I don't have, it's, um, I can't explain it, but I don't really have a fear anymore of anything. Um, you know, so I, I find it easy to climb a mountain and, and I think that's because I've got diabetes because, you know, it is, it can be fearful. It can be terrifying, absolutely terrifying to have when you're first diagnosed with diabetes, you know, it's a life-threatening disease. And not many people know that, that it's a life-threatening disease. And so again, you know, I think you, you, you can't be frightened of it. You can't be terrified of it. And so, so now I just have this kind of uh, Zen-like approach to things like, you know, of course I can do that. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it might be difficult while I'm doing it and I might have to push myself and challenge myself but again that's a kind of mental thing you know if you you know you I think your body is 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 can do anything right it's capable of doing anything but actually it's more your mind I think your mind is the thing that can tell you that you are capable of doing anything right you mm -hmm. you have this incredible uh brain and if you're telling yourself constantly oh, I can't do it I can't do it I can't do it well of course your body's going to give up right yeah you're telling you're telling your body that you can't do it so it's just going to say well if you if you can't even bother to do it why am I going to you know exert myself but if you're telling yourself constantly that you can do it well your body's going to be really strong so I think yeah. that's the kind of a massive that's power true. you know of, I so. believe that a hundred percent I think that's wonderful advice and and wisdom and insight that you're sharing with everyone all of it yeah. and living fearlessly being mindful and the, what you tell yourself, that will definitely be your outcome. There's that famous quote, like, if you think you can't, then you won't. No, uh, it, but that's right, right? And I met, I, I was lucky enough to meet this incredible um, Pakistani lady who is taking the climbing world by storm. She's literally just climbed her eighth summit, first Pakistani lady to climb eight summits. Oh, wow. It's incredible. Her story is incredible. Um, but she said to me, because I was just like, you know, wow. Um, and she was just like, Millie, we all have blind spots. She said, and those blind spots prevent us from doing so much in our lives. She said, if you imagine if you remove those blind spots, what you're capable of. 
And she said, I've removed all my blind spots and I look what I'm achieving. And I was like, oh my God, that is, that is just mind blowing. Absolutely mind blowing. Cause she's absolutely right. We all, we all tell ourselves, oh my God, I can't do that. Oh my God, I'm not capable of doing that. I can't, I can't take that new job. Oh my God, there's no way I can take that new job. Well, remove that blind spot. Of course you can mm-hmm. do that. You know? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. I love this. Everyone yeah. needs to really think about that and, and yeah. lean in, into that and, and everything. So yeah. I, we, as we talked before I push record, uh, we're having this family event in early November and I was hoping that you could come and join this panel. I'm hoping to have with a lot of inspirational people with type one, but you are not going to be here because you're going to be somewhere extremely beautiful and cool and taking on a new challenge. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So I'm very lucky. I'm going to be taking 10 people to cycle across Namibia. Uh, which is just going to be, uh, like you say, incredible. The, the scenery um, in Namibia is, uh, by all accounts, absolutely spectacular. I think the wild wildlife that we're going to see is mm-hmm. mind blowing, and we get to sleep in tents, so the stars are going to be incredible. Wow. You know, we get to cycle along the coastline. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be really, really cool. And it's also a massive challenge for me because I, I, you know, I'm not a cyclist. I, my love is my legs, you know, I use my legs for everything, you know, climbing, hiking kind of things. So, so yet getting on a bike between five and six hours a day, you know, cycling 60 kilometers, 60, 70 kilometers a day across different terrain, you know, sand dunes rough tracks kind of um, is going to be a real challenge for me. So I'm really excited about that because uh, I always like to try new things. And yeah, it's going to be interesting how, you know, my diabetes is going to going to play a different, because, you know, when you're using your, when you cycle, I don't know, you, you only ever actually realize, you know, use your legs. So, mm-hmm. and not the top half of your body. Right. And so I'm into, it's going to be very much like my running, I think, um, in terms of how my levels are, are kind of good when I, because I run a lot and I do a lot of interval training. So it'll be interesting to see how, you know, I've been doing every Sunday morning, lots of cycling in a lovely park uh, nearby and it's, it's solid training, uh, which is great fun, but my levels haven't really been affected, but Mm. that's like two hours, do you know what I mean? And and it's kind of track. So so yeah, it's I'm I'm very excited to take these people these ten people across Namibia because, uh, like I say, it's a, it's a it's another challenge for me personally, but also for my diabetes as well. Um, and it's yeah, it's going to be incredible, absolutely incredible. Amazing. Yeah, I'm very I'm very lucky in the job that I do. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's incredible, and I can't wait to hear all about it. So you'll have to uh, share some yeah, pictures sure. and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. We'll put. Links in the show notes for for Golf for Good if you want to join any of their challenges, participate, or they're also always looking for volunteers. There's a WhatsApp group here um, that I'm on that list and don't volunteer as as much as I should. So they always have all kinds of um, really nice things happening in the community. So so we'll put all those links in the show notes. and. I can't thank you enough for taking your time this morning and sharing a little bit of your story with us. You, you are super inspirational for everyone. And it's, (laughs) it's such a blessing to, to really get to talk to you and learn more about it. So thank thank you you so so much. much. I've had a lovely time. I, I'm, I just love all these topics. It's been a great, uh, a great podcast. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Thank you. And good luck in Namibia.
Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. That was so inspirational. I hope you were inspired as much as I was. Millie, I again, thank her for joining us for the show and sharing her experience with us. My key takeaways from this discussion have been to be mindful in the moment. And I think that's so true. Um, that's been my observation, even though I'm not living with diabetes, being mindful about it makes it so much easier to manage. Not that it's easy, but it does help be mindful, be present in the moment. And Millie, she just, she talks about being fearless and she is truly fearless. These challenges she's doing, they are not easy. These places that she's tracked, they're not easy. Um, I've met a few other people that have, have been to some of those places before and they are, they are certainly challenging. And the fact that she's bringing a chronic condition with her to do this, it makes, I think it even more special. And she is, she is the definition of fearless. Um, also I appreciated that she was thankful for the lessons that diabetes has given her. I think diabetes teaches us a lot for me as a caretaker. I know I've learned a lot and I've met a lot of wonderful people. And for those lessons and those people that I've been fortunate to connect with, I am thankful for, even though it's a condition that I wish nobody had to deal with and not something I would wish on anyone. Uh, if there is a bright side to diabetes, that that just might be it. So thank you all again for listening and joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate your support. If you like what we're doing, please don't hesitate to give us a five-star rating or leave us a review and share it with friends and family that you think might benefit from it. It really does allow us to continue to do this and help more people find us. Have a wonderful rest of the month of November, Diabetes Awareness Month. And next weekend, we will be at the Diapoint Family Weekend. If you're there, I look forward to, to seeing you there. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day ahead. Mm-hmm.